Hi, welcome back to Something Private. This is a special episode. You guys can tell by the change in music, right? Ladies and gentlemen, turn it up, go a little soft like this, now drop the beat. You know the guys that run one of the OG hair removal parlors in Singapore, Strip? Well, they have another brand called Tulips, and they've invited us to join them on their little mission to teach you guys about your little sister. That's right, I'm talking about your vulva. We're clueless and a little embarrassed to talk about our vulvas, but we're so curious and we meddle with her all the time. Just think about all the hair removal hacks and cranberry juice tips all across social media. But caring for your vulvas is more than just an aesthetic conquest. She plays a big part in our overall health and well-being, so how do we keep our little sister well cared for? Join us as we voyage through the vulvaverse. With our friends at Tulips and Strip in a five-part mini-series every last Wednesday of the month. Hi, Dr. Jess. Hi, Nicole. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. This is the third episode that we have had you on board. So, hello. Hi. <laughs> I feel so wanted. Thanks. We often need to feel that way sometimes. Yes, I, I want to validate you by saying every time I have an episode related to like Vava Care, I'm like, okay, I'm calling Dr. Jess. I'm getting her down because I know she can provide me with like what I need. So, yeah, well, happy to have you. Dr. Jess equals Valva. <laughs> Not a bad association. Well, at least the messaging is clear. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, I'm affectionately known as uh, Dr. Jess to all of my patients. And I run a medical clinic. uh, It's called InSync Medical. And generally, it's it's a space to deal with uh, sexual health and sexual wellness issues and anything that's got to do with the genitals, be it for men, women, and all in between. So we offer that kind of time and space through unrushed consults to be able to fully ascertain, hey, you know, what's going on with your uh, sexual experiences? Could there be something physical going on in the background, something hormonal going on in the background, plus the thorough examination of structures like the vulva? And often people don't know much about the vulva, but they seem to think they know a lot about the vagina because that's what we find in textbooks. That's what we learn about in school. I think now we can start to talk a bit about like the anatomy in general. And I know sure. that you've brought a, oh. a little, yes. what do we call it? I don't know. People think I paint that, but I didn't. <laughs> I wish I had great painting skills. I would have signed off my name here, but that would be copyright issues, I suppose. Um, yeah, so I think uh, let's break down, I guess, like, the figure or the structure. Okay, number one, this thing sits right beside me in the clinic. So I don't introduce them to this or the anatomy of the clinic. It introduces itself to my patients. The first thing that they look at, men or women, when they come into the clinic. So men often get distracted and women often go, you know, it's like a sense of realisation. Like it helps them just open up because this thing's already glaring at them. Yep. Each one of us, we own one of this, but I bet with you, yours is not going to look like this. Mine's not going to look like this. This is just a very simplistic, diagrammatic approach so that we can go ahead and say, hey, this is what this is and that Mm. is this. That has got this name. Take me through. Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) You want to start? This is the vulva or an image of what a vulva would look like if you put a mirror directly under between your legs, right? Good luck if you could see every single one of these structures. So this is essentially a diagrammatic, a graphic uh, representation of what 
very standard vulva would look like. There is so much variability with the vulva, but you could match yours up to something like this if you're trying to identify, you know, mm -hmm. uh, what uh, different parts of your vulva. So mm -hmm. if I'll take you through, yeah. generally, of course, you have your, your bigger lips, that surround it. I like to call it the fleshy, the fleshy bits. Yeah. So I call it, we call it the lips, right? In yep. general, we say, hey, this is the lip that shuts and then it encaves everything in the middle. Now, when you part the lips and the lips is where you get a pubic hair growth. Mm -hmm. When you part the lips, you see little bits of fleshy pink tissue on the inside. It looks like areas which are far more delicate than the, than the, the regular skin that you get on the outside. Then this here, the lips included, makes your entire vulva. Mm. So this whole area with everything it encompasses is the vulva. So right at the top, and I often, I often like to use this, like my finger like that in a teardrop shape, and I say, you know, this is a little teardrop, and your vulva's kind of like a teardrop where, where, the, where the skin starts to split, right? You feel from the tip and you ride it down, and you feel a little hump. That's the clitoris. Mm. So it's actually not the clitoris, clitoris per se, but what you feel is the hood you lift the hood off the clitoris so that mm. you see a little bulb. Mm. It's not as big like, sometimes in some women. In most women, you don't find it so prominent, so big. Uh, but there's a little bulb underneath there. It's a little knob. Now, what's uh, misleading and what people don't know and are starting to know more and more now about this because this is a space and the time in which we're talking so much about the, the female uh, yep. genital anatomy is that this clitoris is just the top or the peak of it. The rest of the clitoris structure actually runs underneath, invisible to our eyes. Mm -hmm. We can't see it. So the rest of the structure is all internal mm. and it extends to about 13 centimetres underneath. So it's actually quite a large clitoris, uh, but you just see the peak of it. It's like an excess button. Mm. So then below the clitoris, once you get past that road bump as you're running your fingers down across it, then you hit a space. It's like, oh, a little depression. You come to a space where everything starts to feel a little bit mushy. Mm. So then when you run down these mushy bits, you first come across your urine hole. And then when you run down the space, then you fall into this area where you go, okay, it feels a bit more sensitive. There's like a lot, lot more space in that area. And when you run it down all the way down, you feel like, hey, I got caught on a hammock, the mm -hmm. U. So when you get caught on the hammock, you feel like, you know, that is the spot. If I just advance further, I will enter the opening of my vagina. Now, if you take a look at this diagram, you'll see a lot of these little tissues. Like, what's all these little funky bits here? They're just like little leftover tissue, which we call the hymen remnants. It's leftover of your hymen. All of us still have evidence of our hymen there. It's not 100% disappeared, but it's just regressed back. All you need to do is just fiddle around with it and you'll push the tissues aside and you'll find you find an entrance, there's an opening. So people often don't find diagrams like this very helpful because mm. then the expectation is set that this is what is my this is what my vulva should look like. Yep. And they'll come and say, I'm struggling to find something like this. Yep. Which is where we go, go by feel. Always go by feel. You know kind of where what is, but go by feel and then apply pressure and know what that feels like. And you know when you're at the bottom of your vulva, there's a little hammock. Place your finger there and try and see if you can advance it. And where you can advance it a little bit inwards, like your finger's getting swallowed in, that's when you know that's your vaginal entrance. I think a lot of times, like I mentioned at the start of the episode, people mix it up and they call it the vagina. But you mentioned that, you know, this is the vulva and then like the inside is the vagina. Why is it important for us to be familiar and like use accurate terms and be able to name these 
parts. It's just like, you know, how we all want to be called by what we're known as. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's as basic as that, right? You don't want you don't want someone calling you a hey, girl. Mm. Right? You want to be called by your name. You want to be addressed properly. And so that when you mention something that's clarity, I know exactly what you're talking about and you know exactly what you're talking about. So some people will come to us and say, hey, doctor, my uh, my vagina is, um, is very dry. Mm-hmm. And by definition, vagina is the tube. Yep. Right? The canal. Internally, right? Yeah. And I'm going to go, how do you know your vagina is dry? You often don't actually feel the, the internal dryness. Or oh, it feels dry on the outside. I don't feel lubricated on the outside. Then I go, oh, do you mean your vulva is dry? So it's simply to create clarity in conversations. I mean... I don't feel that vulva is a medical term. Mm. It shouldn't be. It should be a common term. Mm. That we should start addressing this area as vulva. Take me through what happens to the vulva as a woman goes through like different stages in her life in terms of like physical appearances as well as like um yeah, like as a bodily function as she starts puberty all the way to menopause. So just before puberty happens, certain processes in the brain go ding ding ding, let's manufacture some estrogen. So estrogen being the female hormones now starts to have an influence on the breasts, uh, is also the the vulva. So what tends to happen in uh, in 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 women or in girls who are going through puberty and often it the process already starts at age eight or nine and the, the hymen starts to thicken up and that's the little tissues that surround the vaginal entrance. Uh, there could be some vaginal discharges that are starting to be uh, produced. And there's also another hormone called progesterone, another female hormone that's being produced. And these two sort of, the, these two hormones work in sync with each other. And as they work in sync with each other and production starts to increase gradually over time, the hair over the labia, which is the fatty lips, start to become thicker and curlier. Discharges are something that women start to recognize because they see, girls also start to recognize because they start to see it on their underwear. Mm-hmm. As the vagina starts to uh, hydrate itself, the cervix, the uterus, these organs start to produce more mucus and they produce something that we call generally vaginal discharge, which is actually made up of material that is produced by the uterus, cervix and vagina all descending down the same tube. I feel like during this period of time, um, you know, after puberty, as like, and I guess that's kind of where I am in my stage of life now, right? Like my early 20s. Oh, I thought you meant puberty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, post-puberty, pre-pregnancy, yeah. that, that, that little like stage. I think we see a lot of things in like popular culture, right? We see like hair removal. Okay. Yeah, the very common one that I've been seeing a lot as I was doing research on like this particular episode and previous episodes doing with you, right? This procedure where women want to go and surgically get their, like the lips of their vulva to be made smaller. Mm. So they cut off like the skin and basically do all sorts of things to make the vulva not look like the vulva, right? And mm. then friends telling you stuff like, uh, you know, they had sex with like somebody and then somebody told them that like, oh, your, your vagina looks like different or like weird, you know, compared to the other vaginas I've seen before. So I suppose we're talking about that stage in your life where you're becoming more uh, explorative and mm. you are engaging with other individuals who might visualize a very private part of your body, right? Mm. More often than not, women have their own personal perception of what their body is like, including their genitals. Less often, it is because of what social norms are, meaning, hey, everybody is removing pubic hair, so I also jump on the same bandwagon, I go and remove my pubic hair. And it's also often less so because uh, a male partner or another female partner has commented about the state or the look 
of or the appearance of the vulva, women do have this um, perception of their own bodies. And the amount of sexual satisfaction they get is often correlated to how well they perceive their genitals to be or how satisfied mm. they are with their genitalia. So many women are removing pubic hair mainly because they just don't like the appearance of this the, the thick curlier hair in that area and it's uh it's intrusive it's interruptive they don't feel clean they don't feel that hygienic with it they don't feel they can uh, wear certain types of uh, outfits swimsuit or a particular type of underwear so they make these sort of decisions based on very very personal preferences rather than somebody else's preference or this is in style this is in fashion so i'll go ahead and do it so when we make decisions like that it's because of a personal preference. In talking about what you've mentioned, like trimming down the size of uh, the, the la lips. labia. So the part that we're talking about is the labia minora, the smaller lips, the ones that are mentioned can open up like a butterfly in some women who've got larger lips. Now, there are two different groups of women, I suppose. Uh, and in some cases, there is we classify the, the larger labias as labia minora hypertrophy now what in the world that means is just meant it's it's enlarged mm. it's larger than not normal there is no set normal for what the size of the labia minora should be but generally if you just simplistically think about it if your labia minora is quite big it is going to dangle outside your fatty lips yep. how would that feel to someone who is an owner of labia that is that large it's going to suffer from abrasions mm. it's going to suffer from ulcerations they feel that they have to do a tuck in fold the labia minora up tuck it into their bigger lips so that they can feel comfortable across the day and sometimes it creates a, a little bit more of a camel toe than you would like when you are wearing tighter clothing mm. it's not an aesthetically pleasing appearance to themselves women often don't worry what they might look like to others but more often than they look at themselves in the mirror they don't appreciate that look. Mm, like and it is, like what I see. Exactly. So there is that group of women who will succumb or request a labiaplasty. So that's the name of the procedure that is used to actually reduce the size of the labia so that they have a better level of comfort. Mm. There is another group of women who are not suffering from discomfort from having uh, larger labias, but they are paying a lot of attention to their genitalia. Mm. And a lot of women start paying a lot of attention to their genitalia because they want to increase their appreciation of their own bodies so that their sexual satisfaction also improves, their sexual confidence also improves. But uh, we, we do that to ourselves. We want to see ourselves in the best light. We want the best form of ourselves. So we then seek um, aesthetic procedures mm. that might uh, be done to actually reduce the size of it. Often our labias, and like the rest of our bodies, is not symmetrical. We wish we had perfect symmetry. Mm. And when it doesn't fall in that category, we think that it is not quite normal. But like I've mentioned, there is no standard of normal for the labia. There's a misconception that like, you know, if you have, during this period of time, if you have like more sexual experiences, like the inside of your vagina can become loose. It's very, it's it's really very interesting and mind-boggling that you said that because the comment that came, uh, if you have many sexual experiences, uh, you might get loose. But who is that good for and who is that bad for? Are we talking from a male perspective or uh, the penetrator's perspective? Well, penetrator sounds like a really terrible <laughs> term. <laughs> penetrator. <laughs> but, 
But yes. you you understand what I mean? Yeah. Right? Are we talking from a male perspective here yep. that you know, hey, I shouldn't be too loose because then my partner's not gonna have a great time yeah. because it's not gripping enough. Or am I? Your fact is, you're not gonna get too loose from having multiple sexual encounters. If you've had injury to your pelvic floor muscles, these are muscles that support the vagina, right? And mm-hmm. they hold them in place properly and they, they are like the support structures, like the scaffolds, and they hold them in place. If you've had injury to those pelvic floor muscles, your scaffold collapse and then your vagina gets looser. And then that can happen in states like pregnancy, you know, where you've had so much of stretching to that pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. happens during childbirth where you've had this a little bit of a, uh, a traumatic experience as the baby exits the a vagina. Little a, a little bit of a traumatic experience. Okay. I'm not going to heighten it. So, yes, in those states, the pelvic floor can be loosened because they've gone through immense amount of stretching. Mm-hmm. And often the question we get asked is, hey, can the pel- can the vagina return back to normal or not mm. after delivery? After childbirth. After yeah. childbirth. Uh, it doesn't exactly return back to its 100%, mm. you know, before uh, pregnancy state. The, it remains a little bit looser, but it tightens up. Mm. It tightens up. But will it bring you back to your original? No. Brings mm. you back maybe about 80%. I've... I mean, I have never given birth, so I have no visual clue of like what happens to the vulva as you know she experiences childbirth. I think the only things I've really heard of is you know that when you go through like a natural kind of birth, the vagina canal like opens up, and then sometimes there's a tear mm. that comes between that, that forms between the vagina and the the anus, right? Anus. And so yeah, that sounds really scary to me, and I, that's all I want to think about. So yeah, yeah. Actually, during pregnancy, there's quite a few changes. Mm. So, um, have you seen a pregnant woman's belly? I have stretch marks. Besides stretch marks, have you noticed anything else? The skin is very thin. There's one other change. Um, There's this darkened line Mm. right down the middle. Mm -hmm. And it extends well below the belly button sometimes. Uh, And that's called linear nigra. So during pregnancy, because of this surge of estrogen hormones and, and this, that other hormone we spoke about, the progesterone hormones, uh, these hormones sort of stimulate uh, other sort of hormones that increase your production of pigments, melanin, right, mm. in your body. So during pregnancy, a lot of women tend to pigment up a little bit more. They tend to darken up a little bit more. And this is not like a nice homogenous darkening, you know. It's a patchy darkening. Mm. So you can get uh, patches on the face. You can get suddenly very dark nipples. The areola, the circle or just, you know, around the nipple gets darker as well. Women find that their inner thighs start to get darker. The the labia majora starts mm. to get darker. And they find they get this bizarre line mm. that just splits like the, their tummy in half. Mm-mm-mm. And that's the linea nigra. So uh, that's one of the changes the vulva goes through during pregnancy. Darkening, pigmentation. And... The darkening doesn't always go away completely. Mm. So that that line down the belly often disappears and it takes months for that to completely clear away. Women find that the the vulva darkening, the lips darkening and the inner thighs seems to stay. Mm. It reduces intensity but it seems to stay even after uh, delivery of their child. Mm. So that's one of the changes. Uh, another changes that some women go through and uh, Caucasian women or women of Western origin seem to have a higher risk of things like blood clots uh, in the third trimester of their pregnancy. So in the later stages of their pregnancy and soon after delivery. Uh, and that's because the estrogen surges in the body and estrogen is a blood clotter. 
So have you heard of varicose veins? No. Varicose veins are these little um, bulgy veins that you get on your legs. Mm. I've got them. So a lot of us who have jobs where we stand a lot or we sit a lot, we get a lot of pooling of blood in our legs and then it doesn't flow properly. So then you get this retention of uh, blood in these veins and then they, they, they sort of uh, uh, flare up and they look like little worms, you know, wriggling on your, on your legs. Mm. You can get them even right up at the level of your labia. Mm. So some women will experience uh, varicose veins on their labia and it looks like they've got bulgy veins mm. on their labia like the back of your hand you see your veins very obviously when you squeeze yep. you will see these sort of patterns mm. on the labia so these are some of the changes besides the colour becoming more intense becoming darker some women experience varicose veins on their uh, labia majoras and then uh, of course uh, women experience different types of discharges so the discharge might feel a little bit more intense there might be increased risk of vaginal infections mm. uh, during uh, pregnancy as well things like common fungal infections tend to appear a little bit more and that uh, is because of the surges of the hormones mm. they, they change the environment in the vulva they change the environment in the vagina and they increase the risk of these sort of infections yeah I, I, this is just slightly shocking to me because it's never occurred to me like how much changes a woman goes through during like childbirth it's really scary yes there there, uh, there is a baby exiting that canal mm-hmm. and it's not just your vagina that expands look the rest of the body accommodates as well works together with the vagina the whole pelvic floor opens up your hip widens up all in preparation of this exit but if those things don't happen in conjunction, my by golly, that, that baby is not going to come out. Mm-hmm. So there are many other structures that also expand. And then the vagina also goes through a stretch process. So that tells you how tenacious the vagina actually is. Mm-hmm. And then all you suffer is a tear that is across the perineum, which is the area you identify, the area between the vagina and the anus. And there's quite a lot of tissue there. As you said it, my, my body just like, <laughs> I mean, as you are talking about it, you know, I think in recent like popular culture, there's a topic that has been quite like out there, which is this whole idea of like the husband stitch for the purposes of like our people tuning in. Essentially, that is as the doctor is stitching up a woman because she has a tear, you know, between the vagina and the anus. Um, the husband stitch is basically when like a man requests for this the whole to eyebrows be, <laughs> to be stitched up even. Tighter. I don't know. I've seen. I've seen a lot of articles about it, and I've read so much about it, and it's frightening. The the husband's stitch should not be a decision a husband makes. Yep. It should not be something that the doctor consults the the, the partner and go in. And, and by the way, you know, I'm just gonna tighten it up. It's not a decision that you make as a doctor either, and it shouldn't be done like that. There should be a proper form of assessment, meaning before delivery, there could be easy questions that could be asked to the woman. A woman could be consulted in the doctor's clinic and could be asked about her satisfaction with penetration. And she could address to you issues like, you know, I don't quite feel the grip or I feel like I have to forcefully, like purposefully grip or squeeze my pelvic floor in order to feel my husband's penis penetrating me Mm -hmm. because I don't feel the grip. Because what's important is what she feels. Mm -hmm. Because she's the person who's going to be penetrated. So addressing her concerns are important. And if she says that, you know, I feel like it's already quite loose, I don't have a good sensation of the grip there, then the conversation could open up. When we stitch up, would you like us to also perform a little bit of a tightening procedure for you? Then she makes the concept. 
but the stitches that should be applied are stitches that are simply to fix the tears. Mm. If an additional stitch or more work is going to be done to tighten the original size of her vagina, that should be informed to her. We're taking a short break. Something Private is a podcast produced under media publisher Our Grandfather Story. Watch our new episodes every alternate Tuesdays on YouTube and listen to us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcast every alternate Thursdays. New episodes will be published first on YouTube and we'll be publishing once every two weeks this season. We've also just launched our new website, so pay us a visit at somethingprivate.fm if you'd like to share your story with us or work with us. Otherwise, you can send us a message on Instagram at somethingprivatepod or email us at nicole at somethingprivate.fm. We're immensely grateful for all the support you guys have given us and we really couldn't have come this far without you. If you'd like to keep supporting our work, become our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash somethingprivatepod. That's patreon.com forward slash somethingprivatepod. Now back to the episode. I guess in your experience, like these women, how do they cope with like the physical changes? I feel that a lot of us are very reasonable and they go, okay, let's see how things are after delivery. Mm. And let me see what my body is like post-pregnancy, you know, yeah. not just one day post-pregnancy. You know, yeah. you're talking about give it a couple of good months post-pregnancy. Does my body return back to a state which I find? is acceptable for me. Mm. The aesthetic appearance of my vulva is now still acceptable to me. And if they find that this is an ongoing issue, then of course, you know, it is very important to have this looked at because varicosities or varicose veins on the vulva is not something you take lightly. It could be an indication of a little bit of a blood clot within one of the bigger veins inside. So it's worthwhile looking into. It could be a health issue. Exactly. Mm. It could be congestion of the veins in the pelvis, which is the lower part of your abdomen. And that could indicate things like, you know, you might be at higher risk of having pain during sex. You mm. might always have this heavy, full feeling in your pelvic, like you're dragging your abdomen around wherever you go. So it might be indicators of something else. Mm. Interesting. So as a woman then, I guess, moves on from childbirth to menopause, what are some of the... We've got so many stages to go through. It's so much happening at once. I'm so overwhelmed. <laughs> Menopause is one of those things that hit us quite suddenly, isn't it? It's like the machinery is working and then bang, it decides to stop producing the hormones that we have grown so adjusted to from ages, what, 9, 10, 12, all the way up to 50. The average age of menopause is about 52. Mm. And during menopause, suddenly this ovary factory decides that you know hey i've got no more eggs to go and mature and sorry i've got no more cells to produce estrogen for you of course the the estrogen production doesn't crash to zero percent but it really diminishes quite suddenly Mm -hmm. unlike in men they don't go through menopause like we do Mm -hmm. they have something called andropause yes i've heard (laughs) and and it just declines by one percent every year after the age of 50 But for us, it's like, you know, forget the gradual decline. Let's just crash it. So it just goes boom. Interesting. And that's a massive change, you know. And one day you're okay. The next in in the next couple of weeks or months, you're not okay. You're different. You're a different person physically. You're a different person hormonally. And our bodies are expected to cope with that change. And part and parcel of that comes with changes to the vulva because the vulva is very 
uh, reliant on stimulation by the hormone estrogen yep. keeps it hydrated keeps it look, looking supple uh, keeps the collagen going keeps this, the, the survival of elastic tissue there so what women in their menopausal ages and actually just forget menopause just before menopause there's a decline right mm. slowly there's a decline of all these hormones they find that the outer appearance of the vulva it starts to change by a saggy appearance of the labia mm. it's like somebody deflated the labia suck the air out of the balloon and all you're left with is this saggy loose skin that wrinkles up so that's one of the first few changes the other changes are the dryness so women will find like you know i used to have these folds these nice folds i can i can see them like at the entrance of my vagina i see these folds and you lose the folds they all start to straighten out and flatten out so you lose what we call the rugi which is within the vagina you lose that as well uh, the other thing is that as dryness starts, what happens is the tissues start to gather themselves and then mm. they all get tight. It's like as if you wash your face after you've used a, a really good soap to wash your face. You feel that squeaky clean thing and it feels really tight. So it kind of feels like that down in the vulva area. Women who have menopause are at higher risk of something called lichen sclerosis where the tissues in the vulva area start to dry up and they start to fuse. Like one structure fuses into another and you can't quite distinguish where the clitoris is anymore, where the, the labia, menorah is anymore. Everything is fusing into one another. And that's when it gets very uncomfortable for some of these women who suffer from lichen mm. in the older stages of their lives. Mm. So yes, the vulva is ever evolving yeah. through a woman's lifetime. I'm wondering, yeah, like are, are there common like emotional, psychological issues that women face. I know, I know, you know, one one common thing that I've often heard of is that when women go through like menopause, for instance, their mental health gets quite affected because of like the hormone hormonal changes, right? And I think like menopausal and like menopause depression is quite a common thing that happens to women as they go through like as they enter that last kind of stage in their life. Yeah. It's very sad that this so called last stage in your life or, or a last big milestone in a woman's life is happening midlife. It it's just true. Feels She's only mm. just begin to like We live. say right, forties is the new twenties or yeah, I'm saying twenties, you say thirties. <laughs> but but yeah, it feels like at fifty we're really only starting what forties, we're really only starting to establish ourselves. Yeah. We're becoming like fully forget about financial independence, but you know, having a a good amount of money in the bank we go okay this is where we're going to holiday we're going to do this we're going to embark on these sort of journeys and then you go okay 10 years from now my hormonal profile is going to change mm. I'm menopause mm. 10 years from now it just feels like the elixir of life has been taken away from you mm. and it is unfair we have advanced so quickly technologically but our bodies have been left behind. Our women's bodies haven't changed or evolved that quickly. I wish menopause happened at 70 or 80. That would be fair. Mm. But it doesn't. Mm. So um, things that women do do now is uh, is, is under the, the realm of uh, replacement therapy. You know, We replace the hormones that you might have uh, depleted. It is one of those things that women could ask for mm. or could see if they're suitable to take something like that just to persist with uh, their, their usual, their, their pre-menopause hormone levels and take it through for another good 10 years. Mm. 
Now, of course, many women also then suffer from some symptoms. So, you know, if you get irritability, you get dryness, you get repeated urine tract infections after menopause, then something like menopause uh, hormone therapy would be, you know, an option for you and you could, you could take something like that just to ride through a little bit with a little bit more hormones for another 10 years. In fact, it's very safe to take between ages 50 to 60. So there are few women who started in their late 40s and then they carry it on until they're 60. Beyond age 60, there's data to show that there's increased risk of things like breast cancers and uh, cardiac or heart problems. So often we don't recommend it beyond age 60. But mm. who's to know? This is the data now. Mm. What would be the data down the road? Mm, things just, will change. Medicine is ever evolving. Yeah, I was just sharing with you just now. It's almost as if it's like a, a cushion for like, the yes. Crash, yes. Right. That you mentioned. Yes. Is menopause. It's like that inflatable mat. Yeah. That you fall on. Yeah. It makes the impact less dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, this gives you like new life, right? This whole. Right. I suppose because you see, for women, from the time we start uh, menstruation, right up to the fifty to our fifties, we are battling with period issues, right? Monthly period issues. Of course, there's means and ways of stopping the periods through the use of things like birth control, uh, uh, devices that you put into the uterus. But many of us, you know, battle periods on a monthly basis. And then when we hit menopause, the dreadful periods stop. Mm. But then we are we're faced with a new problem. Yep. And we are in that phase in our lives, often in our uh, 40s, where finally things are all great, you know. Uh, you've, you've got a great job going for you. You've got a good amount of stash of money in the bank account, you know. And you go, hey, I want to start living. Mm-hmm. But when we're about, we're about to embark on this, I want to start living, therein comes in the, the party pooper called menopause. And that takes that away from you and it dips your hormones, it changes you, you know. You're no longer the person you were in your 40s. You're now a brand new person, not a better version of you, but mm. you're a different person because now you're a person riding on much lesser mm. hormones. Many, many women complain uh, Women complain of being dry, that they actually feel a physical dryness or, or extra sensitivity on their vulva as they grow older yep. and then cannot even begin to engage in activities like masturbation or even sexual intercourse with their partners. So, you know, who's whoever says that sex has to stop in and around that time of our lives when we are finally have the ability to actually live, yeah. journey around the world, take our time in our retirement and start living. And I think a lot of the times the true living happens in that time frame. A lot of us are workaholics. We work our days away <laughs> when, we, when we're in our prime, in our 30s and our 40s. Mm. And then when we get to unwind, we want to start living then. Mm. I picture my 50s as me going through my second divorce, living the time of my life, and I'll be very depressed if <laughs> at that stage I find out that like I cannot have sex because my vagina's just like fused or my bubbles just fused into each other, you know what I mean? I mean, talking about that, uh, like finding new love in a later stage of your life. So I've seen a couple, I've seen a few women in my clinic who have approached us to aesthetically change the appearance of uh, their vulvas. And if you dig into the story further, and this is where finding out who they are, where mm. they're from, why they want a procedure like this is so critical. And many of these women are women who've been through divorces, uh, exiting uh, a relationship that is unhealthy for them. They are in their 40s. And they're seeking new love. They're dating mm. again. How hard is it for a woman in their 40s 
to date again. Yeah, I can't imagine. I'm struggling now, so. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a hard space because then you get very conscious of being absolutely vulnerable in your naked state in front of another person. You go, oh, I'm not what I used to be. Mm. I'm not, I haven't got my body that I had when I was in my 20s. Things look different. I'm seeing the changes of age that has happened to my vulva, I'm not confident about this. I can't put myself out there. I don't want to be open to judgment, although it might not be open spoken judgment. But yeah, maybe we overthink a few things, but it's a projection of how we feel about ourselves. To round up like this particular conversation on like vulva care and stuff like that, I want to know why is it important for us to recognize or like to be cognizant of the fact that our vulva goes through these like physical changes and like hormonal changes as we each yeah i think that's the only way you're gonna go hey what are the options open for me because i've identified the problem mm. like i know this is what i can expect as i enter this phase of my life i've identified the issue or i recognize something has changed about me i can seek attention from a professional and go can you help me address is this indeed what i think it is um, my vulva's experience has changed, I'm having dryness, I'm having more discharge, I'm having an infection, mm. or so I think this is the case. I'm getting repeated urine tract infections, why? And I've, I've just menopause two years ago. And when we recognize that these are the issues, then you can extend further questions mm. uh, to whoever who's dealing with you who's a professional and go, is there anything else I can do? Take, for example, urine tract infections in someone who is menopausing or menopausal. Uh, she can go and ask, instead of just treating it with antibiotics each time I get this, I'm sure there's other options that can help me prevent it. I have menopause. Is there a little hormone that I can take? Mm. Or something that I can insert into my vagina that helps to replace the hormones there and rejuvenate that area for me so I don't keep getting this nuisance urine tract infections. Mm. I have this friend who basically, it's a bit of a horror story, like she shared with me that uh, a friend of hers essentially had like recurring UTIs. She's a young woman like myself, like 20 something, but she had recurring UTIs and I think she was afraid to go and seek help because she wasn't really sure if like UTIs were like sexually transmitted infections or mm. stuff like that and there was a lot of shame around it. And so it got so bad that eventually I think she de developed like a really bad fever and had to be sent to the hospital like A&E and all and they were like, oh, like you're having like kidney problems because of like the UTI. Mm. And I think like at that point of time, yeah, I was like in shock. I was like, how can it, how could it have gotten so bad that, you know, you... Let it become like this. It's so scary. Yeah. A lot of younger girls also are hesitant about being examined uh, in, in doctors' clinics because of body confidence as well. Mm. And they feel they have to be at their prime and proper and trimmed mm. and shaped. The number of times women walk into our clinic and then they will apologize. Oh, sorry, doc, I didn't shave. I don't expect you to. I really don't expect you to. Oh, I just came from the gym. I mean, I understand they're being courteous, right? Mm -hmm. And just informing me. We, we get that. And, and thank you very much for informing. But you don't have to be prim and proper when you come in. Uh, and that's because we have to be able to accept that, you know, this is what it does look like. Mm -hmm. You don't have to shave for your doctors. Yep. Unless something's being done to you and the shaving is required. And uh, yeah, there, there are things like that. So people feel like they have to be at their best to present themselves to a doctor clinic when they are at their worst, suffering from an infection. And uh, that's, that's what delays uh, a lot of their very own diagnosis because they let it fester 
and they they don't feel like they can approach there's a bit of uh, worry shame uh, low confidence around it and thinking that it might just go away mm. you know it might just disappear on its own mm. no i think that's a really bad one yeah every time every time i the second i notice like something's off right i'm like i can't wait to the doctor <laughs> just to run up the conversation for today um i just want to know you know for the purposes of the women who are listening to our podcast do you have any like last nuggets of wisdom that you'd like to impart to them with regards to I guess like caring about your vagina or like yeah like going to seek help for something you know if, if, if you realise that you know something's off for instance yeah um, the, the big thing is uh, please be familiar like very familiar of what you are in those areas of your body so be familiar with your vulva you carry it with you day in day out 24 7 you are expected and you should know your body better than anybody else uh, there are many people in, in in a relationship who expect their partners to know their vulvas better than they know mm. their own vulvas so as vulva owners we deserve to give our vulvas far more respect than that and attention and uh, we're not saying pamper it but we're saying get to know it uh, be explorative it is not possible for you to hurt it through simple exploration take a picture look at it with a mirror feel it i find the greatest empowerment with knowing where what is on your vulva is to feel it because when you feel a problem when you feel a symptom when you feel something's not right you can exactly go, I don't feel comfortable in this area. It is exactly there as opposed to going, oh, something's just not right down there. Mm. So that way you're more educated and you're able to relay across your problem clearly and therefore then get attention for that problem quicker mm. rather than, you know, running around the mulberry bush like a headless chicken. So exploration and being familiar would be the two things I would say that you know all women should do and it's about time we feel proud of our vulvas just like men feel very proud of their penises we should give it that kind of a respect in this day and age mm. I just want to end off by saying that every time I have a new partner I'm not condoning anything I'm not condoning any lifestyle but I often like to share with them I'm like don't you think she looks great <laughs> <laughs> Give her respect, show her respect. She's like, she looks, she's so cute. Like, I don't know. I think that's really important to to say. So, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's all for today's episode. So, well, thank you. Thanks a lot, Dr. Jess. No worries.